let me ask you, what is the Boy Scout motto? Does anybody know it? Be prepared. That's right. Good job. How many of you were Boy Scouts? I'm kind of, so several of you. So be prepared. All right. That's the motto. <clears throat> this morning, my sermon title is Be Prepared. And uh, what a great motto for an organization that, <clears throat> you know, historically aided in the formation of character. Uh, so young men can mature and uh, men of good character. And, and that was what the Boy Scouts was all about. So as we, as we traverse through 1 John chapter 2, which is in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can grab one from the seat rack in, in front of you. There should be one near you, a uh, Bible that we've assembled. And uh, I don't know what page First John chapter 2 is on, but if somebody uh, wanted to find that, you could shout it out and we would know. But it's toward the back of your Bible. Maybe somebody could help you find that. Uh, and it's, uh, you, go, you might want to start in Revelation and go forward uh, through Jude and then into First John chapter 2. Uh, as we've been going through First John chapter 2, the Apostle John has been helping us understand. Of course, you guys know I've been talking about the, the bringing relationships to light. Uh, the relationships in particular that John was addressing was that but with little children, young men, and fathers. And we've talked about how, uh, as we've gone through that journey of re- bringing relationships to light, that, that uh, obviously it was important um, that, that, uh, that the great commandment that Jesus gave in John thirteen thirty four 34, uh, to love God and love our brother, uh, was what John was pointing to for abiding in the light. It's like you've known this, it's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment because Jesus gave it afresh, and Christ is the key to keeping that commandment. And loving our brother is the key. And uh, if we're not doing that, he made it clear that we were walking in darkness, and we didn't know where we were going. We were as blind as a bat. That's my paraphrase of 1 John 2, 8 through 11. And so then John led us to the little children, the young men, and the fathers, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, where he set forth the fundamental truths that every saint, no matter our spiritual maturity, must understand if we want to have a proper understanding of how to relate to God the Father uh, and to the body of Christ. And he left us with that final warning, which many of you memorized in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, right? Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Uh, if any man love the world, uh, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And then in verse 17, it goes on to say, and, um, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth how long? Forever, right? He that does the will of God abides forever. And so uh, that is the light that we need to operate within, and that is the main relationship that we have, is that relationship with the Lord, and it informs all of our other relationships. And and it's so important that if, we, if we're going to know God, you know we're going to love God. But if you don't know who God is, you're not really going to love him. And all, the, all that leads us to our text this morning in verses 18 through 22. As we wrap up this chapter, I'm not going to get through all of it today, but I want to just focus a little bit on one of the things that's important to the Apostle John that the saints would know at this time in church history from a historical perspective. So let's just kind of put our hats on and think about this text as we... Uh, have seen it now in light of all these other relational realities in verses 1 through uh, 17. We pick it up in verse 18, and the text says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you, because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the Son, and if we have the Son, we have the Father. Lord, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we come to the Father by him. So, Father, we're so thankful for that reality of our relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray if there's those listening today that they don't have that assurance of knowing who Jesus Christ is and having that relationship that is everlasting that we just talked about, Lord, that you would grant that to them even today, that they would hear the good news of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and receive the word of God, the good news message, that they can be forgiven of sin through his sacrifice 
and not their works. And Lord, I pray they'd receive that gift of eternal life and be saved. And for the saints, Lord, for the little children, for the young men, and, uh, and those fathers that are in the house, Lord, the mature Christians, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us uh, information, knowledge about who you are, so that today we can draw ever closer to you and to one another uh, for your kingdom's sake and for your honor and your glory. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's be prepared. I, I'm going to continue on this subject of the relationship, but I want to just focus a little bit on what John is talking about in regard to being prepared because he wants to make sure the saints in, uh, that he's addressing here are prepared to discern the ministry of the Antichrist. And when you think about that, you, think, you don't think about the Antichrist having a ministry, but that's exactly what John is concerned about because the, the Antichrist, he's not just concerned about Antichrists, plural, though that is a concern in verse 17. He's also concerned about Antichrists uh, or the Antichrist. So he, he's got in that text in verse 17, the Antichrist is mentioned, and then he also mentions the Antichrists, plural. So point A here is don't check out on the subject of Antichrists. Uh, or Antichrist, whichever you want to talk about, because the word Antichrist is so commonly used in our vernacular, you can hear about it on the news, social media, uh, you know, it's a common discussion. I, 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 so I looked it up, Jan Smith, it's good to see you here today, God bless you. And so I looked it up on the internet, of course, because we know everything on the internet is true, but uh, no, just to see what is, the, what is the buzz, right, looking up in news feeds, and I found some, there's some social media people I don't even know, or talk show hosts, crying because one one talk show host called another person an antichrist, and it messed up their day, and they went into depression. You know, whatever. It's just, you know, the word antichrist is so uh, well-worn in our culture. A lot of people don't even take it seriously. And so that's why I wanted to say don't check out on it. Don't check out on the subject of antichrist, because this is a serious matter. And so uh, show of hands if you've never heard the word antichrist, right? I mean, everybody's heard that. I mean, that's popular. Everyone has heard that in our culture. And of course, in Christian circles, it's common. It's a common phrase today because, you know, it's something that's in pop culture. But in, the, in John's day, he was actually setting forth some definitions. And so I want to kind of rewind the tape and think about what it is that, that John is saying. He is setting forth what an Antichrist or what Antichrist were. Now, obviously, they were, the very word itself lets you know, right? It's against Christ. But this was something that he was wanting the folks to understand. And he was writing. A needed definition because he wanted the people to understand the importance of discerning uh, Antichrist. So many, many today see Jesus as a cunningly devised fable. I mean, if you look up Jesus, there's this big fat-headed Jesus with big fat fingers, and he's all over the place, and he's like the cool Jesus guy. He's always like saying, you know, quirky little things. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but it ain't the Jesus of the Bible. And the world mocks Jesus and makes fun of Jesus and uses Jesus' name lightly. I mean, Jesus, to most people, is just a byword. They don't really honor him as who he is. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. And so Jesus' name is, is no joke. It's not to be played with, and he's not to be toyed with. Uh, and many mistake his meekness for weakness. And many don't even believe he's real, that he's just a cunningly devised fable, and uh, he's just a story from the past, even though, as I've already mentioned in our first uh, series, you know, in chapter one, when we started opening up talking about the word of God and how they handled him, there is empirical evidence that Jesus Christ not only existed, but that he rose again, right? So this is not just some cunningly devised fable. If you believe in George Washington, you better believe in Jesus Christ because you got more evidence for him. I mean, the reality is that Jesus Christ, uh, he had an earthly ministry. He had an earthly death. He had a, a, a miraculous resurrection, and he is alive right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he rose again from the dead. So if Jesus is just a cunningly devised fable and you don't know him, well, or worse yet, you've rejected him, this is the reality. You will not even recognize Antichrist. Second Thessalonians 2 makes it pretty clear that God will just give you over because your attitude toward Christ is going to dictate how you relate to understanding Antichrist. If you think Jesus Christ isn't real, then you're really going to miss out on Antichrist, because you've got to start with the premise that Jesus Christ is who he said he is before you're going to have the revelation that there, are, there is a force, a real being, Satan, actually working against the, the mission of God in Christ. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights in our church history uh, study. And an example of this would be the Pharisees in John chapter 8, and many of us are familiar with that. We teach that in our Discipleship 1 course in, in, in verse 44 in particular, where it talks about how Jesus just busts the Pharisees in the mouth, doesn't he? He just says, uh, you're of your father the devil, the less of your father you will do. 
They're like, what? How dare you call us of the devil, right? How dare you tell us we're the devil? I mean, they couldn't even comprehend that. They would never have considered that their spiritual father was the devil, though Jesus plainly told the religious leaders that they were of their father, the devil. Now, Jesus knew people who were Antichrist, or Antichrist, or Anti-Messiah for sure, which is Antichrist, and these religious leaders claimed Abraham as their father. Now, they weren't anti-Messiahs in regard to a, the Messiah they wanted, which was a, dictator, a religious leader who would appear and run out the Romans from Israel. They were all about uh, their liberty from Rome. They were all about political freedom. But what they were not ready for is to submit to this man, uh, this man Christ Jesus, the, the man Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry before his resurrection. They weren't ready to receive Messiah, right, Christ. And he's talking to them, he's showing miracles, he's doing everything that the Bible says needs to occur for them to recognize and realize who he is, and they continue to reject him. But they didn't reject Abraham. They said that anyway. The religious leaders said, well, hey, listen, uh, Abraham's our father. We're not born of fornication, right? And they're basically insinuating that Joseph was his daddy, and he was conceived in fornication with Mary. And of course, that was not the case. His, His birth was miraculous, and he was conceived with the Holy Ghost. So just to go ahead and, and match that, uh, you know what Jesus said? He says, hey, listen, and I'm paraphrasing this. You can go back and read John 8 uh, yourself and see the details of it. But in essence, what Jesus says is, hey, listen, you know what? It's interesting you say that because Abraham never treated me like this. And then their mind just exploded, <laughs> you know, because obviously he's saying that he was with Abraham. Like, you, you're not old enough to be with. What are you saying, Abraham? And Exactly. He and the Father are one. I I am Messiah. I am God, manifest in the flesh. They couldn't see it. They were blinded. They were blinded to the reality of who Christ was. And they couldn't even see their own correlation to the Father, the devil. They were blinded to it. And so there are many today, as there were many in the ministry of Jesus in the first century, who are happy to be religious And get fighting mad, though, when you claim that Jesus is alive and that he is the Lord. I mean, religious people. I'm not talking about people who don't know Christ. I'm talking about religious people. And this, my friend, is the spirit of Antichrist. John talks about it. We'll get to it in chapter 4, but just get a little preview. It says in 1 John 4, 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this and this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore, you have heard that it should come, even now already is in the world. And of course, uh, if, you're, if you've been around much, you know and have probably bumped into that spirit. You don't have to go very far. It's in, your, it's in every aspect of our, and fiber of our culture that Jesus Christ is not God. You're, you're, I mean, I know when I was a kid coming up, that was continuously reiterated. On the other hand, there were people saying Jesus was God, right? There was a battle in the culture, uh, and there still is, because there's a battle over what Jesus Christ is going to claim, which is he wants to claim the souls of men uh, through his love and grace, and eventually he will claim the planet. I'll get into that a little bit more. I've got to stay on track or we'll never get done. So here's the practical application today. The spirit of Antichrist is present in every fiber of society. So this is why this message is so timely. We live in a time of Antichrist, and just around the corner from the time of Antichrist, the Antichrist. So don't check out on me now, because this is elementary information that the Lord Jesus wants us to know about the days in which we live. So point B, discern the time. In verse 18, he says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So point one, I need you to denote that John is writing to little children. Not to wear this out, I keep mentioning these little children, but this is important because John now shifts, right? He's gone from my little children to little children, young men and fathers, and now he's shifting back to talk about this relationship that we would have with Antichrists and the Antichrist that will come. And he says, hey, listen, I want the little children to pay attention. I find that instructional because when you talk to little children, do you, do you feed little children a T-bone steak? No. You give, them, you give them milk, right? You give them mushed up stuff, right? And all that, you know, you give them the baby food. 
And so this principle, the things that he's laying forth and he's setting forth, he's not trying to choke them with knowledge they can't comprehend. He's actually letting us know this is information that we ought to know. We ought to know this. John is writing to little children. We, we therefore, presume that this information is, is such that young men and fathers already know it, right? They, they've already eaten applesauce. They've already, they, they can take it. This is stuff that they would already know. So he's bringing it down on the level where young little children can get a hold of it, or those that are new to the Lord. So there's a certain teaching in the Bible, uh, that, that there are certain teachings, I should say, rather, that, that are in the Bible that you can actually use really almost as a growth gauge. You know, when you got the little thing against the walls, the kids grow and you mark it, you know, they're, they're three foot and they're four foot, they're five foot, they're six foot, you know, and they grow and they grow and they grow like weeds, praise God. There's a growth chart. Well, spiritually, God gives us growth uh, chart uh, mechanisms. We use the seven stages of spiritual growth. We've talked about those, but also something that you can kind of use as far as knowledge is What's your comprehension? You know, when a child goes into school, really all the way through school, they're being assessed constantly, aren't they, on, on their ability to, to process information and develop uh, intellectually as well, not just physically. And so one of the things you can do spiritually is there's some things in the Bible, just like we look at the results of spiritual growth are manifest in seven stages of spiritual growth, uh, which I don't have time to get into this morning. We can take that in another session or come back in Bible study and we'll get into that. But we can also look at that kind of intellectually or doctrinally. What does God want us to know so that we can have that basic fundamental knowledge? Right? Our discipleship one is basically that kind of systematic theology. It's basic Bible doctrine that we, we teach everybody because everybody in the body of Christ should know about salvation, eternal life, baptism, the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, prayer, etc., etc., the will of God, so on down to the judgment seat of Christ. Those are basic things everyone should know, but they're also good things for me to go over and over again because every time I go and learn, learn them, teach them, I learn more. I mean, you can never really exhaust the depth of that information. And so, so he's bringing this subject of Antichrist. Now, you might think that, man, that's kind of that's end time sounding or that's kind of, you know, that seems a little heavy for baby Christians. Well, no, if it was, it wouldn't be given to little children. This is something that actually is probably not talked about enough. It's something that we probably need to be prepared for, especially in the days in which we live. So there's a certain teaching that, that like this that can help us understand, well, what is my understanding of Antichrist? So beyond what you learned, you know, watching Friday Fright Night for you old people, uh, or the latest, uh, you know, the latest horror movie, what, ha- what do you really know about Antichrist and, and the spirit of Antichrist? And so um, now I can tell you this, if you don't know the gospel... Uh, you, you certainly have not trusted it, and you're not saved. So the first thing you got to know, before you worry about the Antichrist, sometimes people get off on hobby horse subjects. They like that. This really troubled me when I was a young man, before I was a Christian, is I seem to tend to be more concerned about the darkness than I was about the light. You ever notice that? When, when I, was, I don't know about y'all. I'm just talking about myself. But when I was lost, I had more faith in darkness. You ask me, hey, do you believe in the devil? Yeah, I just really didn't have a problem believing in evil or the devil. Why was that? Because I was running with the devil, to quote Van Halen, right? And so I was running with the devil. I mean, he was my buddy. And, uh, and so I believed in him. And it troubled me that I had such a hard time believing in Jesus Christ and the veracity of what the Bible taught. Well, that's because I was in a spiritual war. And I was like one of those Pharisees myself. My father was the devil. And the lust of my father is what I was doing. And so, before you get too caught up in learning about Antichrist, I say all that to say this. The first thing you've got to know is Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll have no hope against Antichrist. You need to know Jesus Christ. And so, I pray that you know him in a very personal way. So, the topic of Antichrist culminates in what Paul calls the mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 7. And this reveals the son of perdition. So there's several names for Antichrist, and I'm not going to do like a thorough, thorough study of this for time's sake, but I want to just lay some things out for you. So if you're a note taker, you're going to have to take some notes and hang on here for a few minutes. And so uh, Paul calls him the son of perdition, also known as the Antichrist. John refers here in John 2.18. Now, my advice to all Christians is that you are young in the Lord. Um, Beyond just learning the milk of the word in regard to salvation and sanctification and glorification, which you certainly need to be doing, 
a study of, of what I would call the seven mysteries of the New Testament will lay a firm foundation of doctrine that you can build on the rest of your spiritual life. And that's what I was talking about, about your aptitude, uh, kind of intellectually and spiritually, and some doctrine that you can kind of use as a growth gauge in your comprehension of the Bible. And I say this because the seven stages, I mean, the seven mysteries, uh, they're not to be things that we don't know. There's, there, there's seven mysteries God has given that, that are things that we do know. We teach them in our Discipleship 2 class. Uh, for the, by the way, you can sign up for that. For those of you that have gone through D1, that's going to be starting here in September. And we lay out a whole section on the seven mysteries. Why do we do that? Because those things are revealed to the church. These are things that the Old Testament saints didn't understand. Uh, the apostles didn't understand it until after the resurrection, until God gave those uh, to John and, uh, and to Paul, uh, mainly Paul. And those mysteries are laid out, and they set forth really the rest of what's going to happen in history, how all this is going to work out. How to do, I mean, there's so much that revolves around that. But one of those seven mysteries, which are listed on the screen, is, you can see there, the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians 2.7. Now, that mystery of iniquity, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail with it this, this uh, morning, but that is directly related to the man of sin, that's a name for the Antichrist, the son of perdition, that's a name of the Antichrist, and what we're calling, what John is calling here, the Antichrist, not plural Antichrist, but the Antichrist. There's been a lot of Antichrists, there still are a lot of Antichrists, uh, I'll touch on that. But he's dealing with the end times and the Antichrist that will come. So if you have completed Discipleship 2, man, you can, uh, or if you have completed Discipleship 1, you can get in on learning about that in our D2 course. And so define uh, the last time. That's one of the things I want to do because I think that'll bring some clarity to what, what these folks were thinking about here. When you look at this text, right, uh, we don't want to drop out on the discussion. We want to look at this and do, dig a little deeper. Little children, it is the last time. And I think there's about as many uh, opinions about what the last time is as there are, uh, you know, flavors of ice cream. But uh, biblically, I think this is pretty easy to figure out. First, it's worth mentioning that the subject matter of the Antichrists and Antichrist is found in 1 John 2, 18. Uh, and and in, it may not mean much to y'all, but I just think it's cool that it's found, it shows up in verse 18. You don't see the word Antichrist until verse 18, which is... For you conspiracy nuts, 6 plus 6 plus 6, which is sort of like verse 13, uh, which is where, um, I can't see without my glasses anymore, uh, that wicked one shows up, right? The wicked one shows up, rebellion, in verse 13. So it's just cool how God puts all that together. That is not the core of my doctrine, though. But if, if you continue to study your Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture, line upon line, uh, you're going to find that the last time is only mentioned, that phrase, last time, is only mentioned four times, and they are all dealing with Christians uh, who come from a Hebrew background. The first mention is going to be in 1 Peter 1.5. It says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The last time. And so if we look, uh, look took the time, I'm sorry, to read 1 Peter chapter 1, we would see the context of Peter's comments are looking forward to the saints in the coming day of the Lord. It's coupled with the second coming in this context. Therefore, we can understand that this phrase, the last time, does include the saints who will already be born again and revealed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be part of those saints that come back at the second coming because he's going to catch us away. The second mention is here that we just read in our text, right? In verse 18, it is the last time. And you have heard that Antichrist shall come, singular, uh, and then he goes on and says, even now, so he's talking about future, the Antichrist shall come. He hasn't come yet, but he will. Even now are the, there are many Antichrists, plural, wherefore we know that it is the last time. So he repeats himself about this last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out from us that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So John is very clearly speaking of the conditions of those antichrists who existed in the first century. He's dealing with real people that were really causing problems in the church. And we'll look at that a little closer here in a minute. But you can see that he was, he was really also ready for the imminent return of Christ, as the Apostle Paul was and as we are today, to catch us away into the clouds so that God can fulfill what he says about Daniel's 70th week and the restoration of Israel and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign on this earth. And I believe... 
He was privy to that knowledge because he had the mysteries that Paul had written in the book of Romans. Many antichrists will arise, especially leading up to that first three and a half years and then the, the, uh, up to, through the beginning of sorrows. But then that man of sin, the antichrist, will be made manifest at the midway point of Daniel's 70th week. So after, catching, after the catching away of the church, or what's called the rapture commonly, the spirit of antichrist will accelerate according to Jesus. This isn't just what John is saying. According to, these are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Um, prior to the middle of the tribulation, in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus is speaking. He says, For there shall arise false Christs, that'll be antichrists, and false prophets, that'll be antiprophets, I guess, and, and shall show great signs and wonders, because Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. So uh, as God turns his attention to the Jews after the catching away of the church, there'll be all kinds of signs and lying wonders. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks to that. And there, part of that will be many false Christs. There'll be antichrists. Jesus is letting them know that. So much so, so this is going to be so, um, so incredibly powerful, the signs and the wonders and the supernatural behaviors that will be going on. He says, even the very elect, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That even the people that God has set aside to restore the nation of Israel would be beguiled and deceived if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy. And uh, his also, I'll talk about that a little bit more in the way he helps them understand uh, the discerning power of the Holy Ghost. So uh, these passages are not speaking of the church age, by the way, and I want to be clear. So this is where it gets a little bit harder to understand if you're young in the Lord or you, or you haven't really had a lot of study in the Bible. But God's word is divided. It's to be rightly divided. So some of these passages, like Matthew 24, many Christians think, oh, that's dealing with the church age. It's not dealing with the church age. As a matter of fact, Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet, and he is still, still extending his kingdom to the nation of Israel. And it's not until Acts chapter 7 that that's off the table. And so, uh, and so he is actually letting them know what could transpire uh, very shortly. And they expected it to. But of course, after his resurrection, after Israel uh, uh, was taken into captivity in 70 AD, Titus came in and flattened the temple. And these, these promises that God promised uh, are now going to be fulfilled very literally in, in a time yet to come. So it's kind of like a double fulfillment as, as Titus comes in and wipes out Jerusalem. That looked like the abomination of desolation, but it wasn't. That's still yet to come in the middle of the tribulation. So we're not preterists, by the way, for those of you that are deeper in that kind of Bible study. So these passages are not speaking of the church age, but clearly speaking to the tribulation saints who await the return of Jesus at his coming. After these uh, antichrists come that he mentions here in Matthew 24, the antichrist will make himself known. And I give you some verses there for reference. Time will not allow me to take us to Daniel 9, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, Daniel 7, 25, Daniel 8, 9 through 11, and uh, Daniel 11 and verse 36. But if you go home and you look all those up, put all those together, uh, it'll give you more insights onto this man of sin, this son of perdition, this, this wicked one that's coming in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, in a time yet to come. Not going to be far away. That's the Antichrist. So in Jude, uh, the Bible says in verse 18, how that they told you there should be uh, mockers in the last time who should walk after their, uh, their own ungodly lust. Part of those things that you'll see in the last time are going to be those that are mockers, those that make light of and make fun of God. They think it's funny. think it's a, it's a hoot. And so... Jude is clearly a book like the general epistles, all the general epistles, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, Jude and Revelation, that point the saints who will be seeking answers in the coming tribulation period to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the nation of Israel and his covenant promises with Israel. There will be mockers who will be around before the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 19. And so a Christian with a Jewish background would understand that John was also referring to the last 42 months of the tribulation period. It's like, how do you know that, Brian? Well, I'm going to tell you. Because Daniel was working through a vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, which reveals the Ancient of Days. I did not coordinate that today, but we sang that song, Ancient of Days. That's awesome, bro. I thought that was cool. So uh, he's in, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees his vision, and, and he's talking about this victorious triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. He's seeing the second coming of Jesus, a literal, physical, military return to the earth. That is 
what he sees. And he sees his victorious ancient of days. Uh, that doesn't trouble him so much. I mean, he's all about that because he's in Babylon. He's ready for the ancient of days to do what he's going to do. But that's not what troubles him. As you go on in chapter 7, after verse 14, you can see the, the, the cognitations of his heart are, are troubled. And Daniel's problem wasn't seeing the, the day of the Lord as much as, as what God was revealing to him concerning the Antichrist kingdom and all the kingdoms leading up to the Antichrist. And so before the Lord Jesus returns to depose the Antichrist, the timeline of the Great Tribulation described by Jesus in Matthew 24, 21, he gives it that name, not me, is given. Uh, this way Daniel uh, can understand the, the coming man of sin. In Daniel seven twenty five, Daniel says this. He says, and, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. Talk about mocking. And shall... Uh, wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until... Then he says this just kind of, for us, it's like, what does this mean? A time time, and a times and a dividing of time. And that is just kind of like, whoa, what are you talking about, man? I don't know how to discern that. In Daniel chapter 12, he says the same thing in verse 7. He says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and uh, his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, uh, all these things shall be finished. All right, that's still mysterious. Uh, you have to read the whole text and it would still be mysterious. You get to Revelation chapter 12 and here it comes again. And the woman... And to the woman, and this woman, you'd have to, you have to take my word on this, but don't. Go back and read it, and you can, you can find it yourself. And the woman, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. This woman is the nation of Israel, the remnant. Uh, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished, here it comes, for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. So what is this time that he's talking about? Well, a Hebrew would get this. A time is the longest measure of a 360-day Hebrew year. So Daniel is saying that the Antichrist will wear out the saints of the Most High uh, in the coming tribulation. Um, those, those are tribulation saints, not us. I want to be clear about that. For a, a time, 360 days, and times, that's two years of 360 days, and a half time, right, of 180 days. So if you take 360, which, by the way, why not 365? because the Hebrew calendar actually operates on 360 days, not 365 days. So who, who knows? Maybe the Antichrist is going to switch our calendars back to 360 days. I don't know. But anyway, there, I know God's clock is operating on 360-day lunar cycle, not a, not a solar, not a, uh, what is that? A Gregorian calendar. Okay, so, there, so this is going to work out to 100, or uh, if you take 360 times 3, that's 1,080 days, and then you add a tack on 180 it's 1,260 days. Well, okay. What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Well, that's the exact amount of time given to John in his revelation when he is caught up in Patmos in, in Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 2. Uh, he, he says this. There's 42 months, which, which is 1,260 days. Revelation 11:3 also very clearly says that the two, witness shall pro the two witnesses shall prophesy for 1,260 and 60 days. That, my friends, is three and a half years. That is the length of the last part of the, well, it's the length of the first half of the tribulation, and also the last half, but it's in reference to that man of sin, that antichrist. There's a time coming when he will arise up to deceive the whole world, and there'll be, before that comes, there'll be lots of signs and lying wonders, and then he himself is the greatest deception that there will be. Historically, in the first century, Christians from a Jewish background would understand uh, Revelation because it had, it would not, I'm sorry, understand Revelation, I've got to say that right, because it hadn't been revealed. I don't believe that as John is writing this, that he had yet been caught up uh, in Revelation. Revelation is the, uh, the, the bookend uh, to the Bible. It is the last book written. It's also the, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the last thing that we are, are told, and, and that is given to John almost at the end of the first century. 96 A.D. is commonly what we believe, 90 to 96 A.D., Nevertheless, there are certainly, uh, they, they certainly understood the times and the seasons and were ready to be caught up prior to the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week. So we know 
because of the of full revelation that John didn't have, that John didn't even have uh, when writing First John, that the times uh, will apply to the last 42 months of what Jesus titled himself. Jesus titled it, not me, Matthew 24, 21, the great tribulation when Israel is hidden from the onslaught of the Antichrist and his, in his, in the Antichrist's zeal to destroy God's chosen people in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Satan indwells him literally in a failed attempt to hijack the planet from God. So you ask me, where is sustainable, sustainable development going? Well, I can tell you where it's headed. It's headed right to the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist claims the title deed to this earth. That's what it's about, and all the people thereon, right? And so you guys can see that pretty clearly. That's what's working already. We can see those things happening. Like John, I can say it's the last time. I mean, we're getting closer every day. Uh, we're nearer than when we believe. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4 says this, and they worship the dragon. There's coming a time when the Antichrist will want to be worshiped, which gave power unto the beast and worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Forty-two months, three and a half years. The saints, after Paul's death, had the same information we have from 1 Thessalonians 5.1. And, and Paul said this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Why? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, for when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Notice that Paul isn't saying you. He's not talking about us, them. Who is them? He's talking about his promise, his covenant people. Uh, the nation of Israel will experience this. Revela or Romans chapter 9 through 11 uh, lays that out for us, that God is not done with his elect chosen people Israel, though for a season uh, they, they have been in dispersion. In 1948, they came back together. In 2018, they got their city back, Jerusalem, and that's going to be ground zero for all the events that are going to happen in the coming tribulation. So after the catching away of the church, oh, by the way, before I finish, I didn't finish that. So he says that rather we... Uh, let me back up. Sorry about that. I lost my place. So he says, uh, for, for, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they, they shall not escape. Now Paul is speaking of the coming judgment of the tribulation, not being set aside for us, but for those that are in the tribulation. In verse 9 of that same passage, he says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Meaning whether you die or not, you're going to be with him. Why? Because he's going to come and gather us up. Our inheritance is Christ, which is why he catches us away. Our inheritance is, is celestial. That's why we are part of the kingdom of God. And we will get that inheritance according to 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Uh, and that happens before Daniel's 70th week commences. So after the catching away of the church, the seven-year tribulation, also called Daniel's 70th week, is divided. And the beginning of sorrows is the first half. Again, Jesus gives it that term, not me. And, and it will give rise to the coming peacemaker. Initially, the Antichrist is going to come. One of his attributes is that of a peacemaker. However, at the advent of the feigned resurrection and lying wonders of the Antichrist's resurrection from a head wound, uh, there will be many uh, believing Jews who were hearing in the everlasting gospel and understanding that this was not the Christ, and they will be saved from his wrath. And they'll be, they'll be hanging on every word, beloved, of Hebrews, of James, of Peter, and First John, and Jude, and Revelation. It will be more fresh than tomorrow's newspaper. They will be looking at that very closely to find out, maybe listen to this message, to find out what in the world are we looking at. I don't know. I won't be here. Get the tape, right? And so... Um, <clears throat> But the Antichrist is going to demand, he's going to demand worship of every soul. So discern the ministry of the Antichrist. Don't check out, discern the time, but also discern the behaviors. You get into verse 19, it says, They went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they if, if I'm sorry, I can't read. For if they had been of us, they would not they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. He says, you know. This is really gets more practical. So that last section, that's for you Bible students, right? So there's a lot of you I know that are taking some notes on that. You can, we can talk about it later. Now, practically speaking, there's some behaviors here that, that we need to understand. These are, this is what John really needs the little children to grab a hold of 
He expects the young men to know and the fathers. He says, you know, they went out, they went out from us because they really weren't of us. Otherwise, they'd have continued with us, but they didn't. So John describes a pattern of behavior of those who are antichrist. Uh, they, this is what the pattern is. They leave. Isn't that profound? They leave. You see that all the way through the Bible, though. You think about it. Go, you can, this is a, I could have a whole message just on this. When you start thinking about the, 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 the way that God interacts with the, Satan, he's a runner. He's not a fighter. He's a deceiver. In Proverbs 28, verse 1, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Man, I can remember when I was a young man under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And man, I was literally, I, would, I remember just hiding outside the church doors one time, waiting to, for it to get over. And I, I, I look back on that now. You know what I was doing? I was running from God. I was trying to get away from the light because I was living in darkness. I didn't want to be around God. That's what it boiled down to. Is, oh, I could blame it on church, but it wasn't the church's fault. It was, my, it was me. You know what? The wicked flee when no man pursues. What, what, what is it? What is it? What have I done? What have I done? That's called a guilty conscience. That's what you've done. <laughs> the call of the Christian is to stand. Stand your ground. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Ephesians 6 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. There's no need to run when you're standing in truth. It's worth noting that Jesus, uh, he went from, uh, it's Judas, I'm sorry, it's worth noting that Judas went out from the presence of the disciples to betray Christ at the Passover feast. He didn't stay, did he? In John 13, 30, the Bible says, He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Where did he go to? He went into darkness. What to do? To deceive, to betray. Judas is called the son of perdition in John 17, 12. Then he's identified by Paul and John uh, also is the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. This is why the scripture says in John 13, 27, that after he had taken the sop, Satan entered into Judas. And then uh, in John 13, 30, uh, we see the, the outcome of that, for, for he betrayed Christ. For those who are against Christ, uh, they don't want any communion with Christ. But those that are for Christ, you know what? God draws us together. That's why communion, right? It's, it's a replication of what happened at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, where Jesus is the Passover. We come together. We'll do it at the end of this month. When we come together for communion, it's, it's representative of what? Us all coming together around Christ. Now, we all know that the apostles, before they were apostles, they were disciples, did they all, were they all about a thousand? No. Not, not a one of them. But you know what? They also didn't betray him. I'm sure, I'm sure Peter felt like he had, obviously. He didn't love him, but he didn't, he didn't turn him over to the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver either. Judas betrayed him. He was anti-Christ. Many people misunderstand that Judas, you know, they thought he was, oh, I'm so guilty because I did this. That's not why he hung himself. He hung himself because he failed, and he realized it. Well, by the time he realized it, it was too late. So he went to his own place, Acts says. Now Jude says this, and he says in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone after the way of Cain, and run greedily after the heir of Balaam, for their reward, <coughs> uh, Balaam for reward, and perish in the gainsaying of course. So he goes back to the Old Testament, he brings up these stories of people who fought against authority, who tried to manipulate God's people, who tried to destroy God's program. He says, these are spots in your feasts of Charity. You know what we call the Lord's Supper? The love feast. He says, this is what they'll do. Feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withers. Without fruit, twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea. Foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You know what somebody who's against Christ will do? They'll come to the church body, they'll sit in the sanctuary, and they will take a Lord's Supper with you. And their heart will be hard as a rock, and they'll never be changed. They'll think it's just some, some ritual that you're going through. And God forbid, 
That's why we take that seriously in this church. It's a big deal. Not that the elements are. They're just, it's just unleavened bread and it's just juice. And we do that in remembrance of Christ. We're not doing transubstantiation, so I want to be clear about that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, though, is when the Word of God is open and, the, and, God is, is, and we're doing what the Word of God says because Jesus says to do it. We know He's alive. He, we know He wants us to have unity. We, he wants us to walk in the light as He is in the light, having love one for another. And man, I tell you what, we take that seriously. Why? Because that's God's will. How do you know you're, you're, you're an antichrist? When that doesn't move you. When God's word doesn't move you. When the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't move you. Something is wrong in your heart, and you need to repent. Because you could be as blind as the Pharisees. Pharisees were going through the rituals. They had all the ritual they wanted, but they didn't acknowledge Jesus Christ and his authority. If Jesus Christ has no authority in your life, you better check it again and make sure you're saved. I, it is amazing how people take Jesus so lightly. And so it is believed that, John, that John's letters were circulating around the churches of Asia. And this would make perfect sense as God would later address in the book of Revelation the seven churches of Asia. This being said, Paul also had some men that, that could be pointed out that were working against Christ there in, in the region of Asia. Uh, and, and, and so he was, and by the way, Paul is counted as being one of the, the man who planted the church at Ephesus. So Ephesus was a church plant, and then there were church plants that went out from Ephesus to, to start the churches of Asia. So it was quite a fruitful endeavor. But in 2 Timothy, right, as Paul's getting ready to, to go to heaven, he writes to his son in the Lord, and he says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia have turned away from me. And then he gives a couple names, he lists them. Of whom are? Phygelus and Hermogenes. Hey, Timothy, there's a couple guys, and these are who they are. They have, they have gone about to get all of Asia to turn away from me and my writings. I wouldn't be surprised at all if these, these epistles from 1 John were being circulated around, and John saying, hey, look out, because they're Antichrist. You know, there are people actively today trying to get people to turn away from Orthodox, Square, straight across the table Bible teaching. They do not want you to have a literal view of the Bible, and they will do whatever it takes to get you to turn away from this book. These men could be a couple of the very Antichrist John was talking about. So we know that there are other Jewish leaders who Paul also titled the, of the concision in Galatians 5.12. What did he say? You know what? These guys are so bad to the church, I wish they could be cut off. That's serious business. They were trouble in the church. They were working against the church. Now, I'm, I'm saying this right now with complete clarity, and I have no, I'm not, I, if, man, if you're like feeling guilty right now, I don't know who you are because I have nobody in mind. I'm just talking to the atmosphere. I don't know where the Antichrist in our church exists. I'm sure there might be one or two. But the reality is this. Uh, there's always people that are lost, and they need to come to Christ, right? People that need to, to you know, Nicodemus got saved. He was a Pharisee. So God's calling all men everywhere to repent. He's able to take care of that. But there are some that are just wicked, and, and they practice wickedness in the face of God's authority. So here's the practical application. As we draw closer to the last days before the catching away of the church and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, which will be caught up before that starts, we should expect more activity among those who are influenced by the spirit of Antichrist, which I talked about in the beginning of the message. We're not talking about it falling away of so-called Christian or Christian artists, right? I mean, entertainers is what those guys are. We're talking about people who really ought to know better. People that actually claim the word of God. You do, you really, and you can, I could name some names, you know. Uh, you could talk about Rob Bell, Hank Hanegraaff, Francis Chan. These are guys that everybody's like, oh, they're the next great pastor, the next great preacher. The next thing you know, they're all taking the Eucharist. What happened? It's the last times. Guys, that's what's happened. People are dropping the word of God. And they are falling into the spirit of Antichrist. And so uh, there's a, there, these are practical things that we need to really get our head around. Rest in God's providence for protection. That's really what, that's what John is saying here. He said, hey, you know what? They went out from us. Why? Because they weren't of us. And it's a good thing. They don't need to be with us. They need to go. As Paul pointed out, Vigelis uh, uh, by names and, and, and homogenies, God was, was manifesting those who departed from the faith for the church's protection. He was protecting the church. The sum, uh, the sum total of our Wednesday night study, by the way, uh, by, on Bible believers' biblical heritage is basically just going through history and accounting for God's work 
and the devil's working against it. People working against Christ. And there are men that are touted, as I mentioned last Wednesday night, men that people, even to this day, revere as fathers of the faith. But at HBF, as we're teaching church history, you know what we call them? We call them heretics. They are. They're heretics because they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny who he was. They deny the teaching of the word of God. And yet they're counted as fathers. Well, that's interesting because some of those guys created a Bible. A Bible that doesn't come up with the same answers as this one. Why is that? Because the devil has a Bible too. The spirit of Antichrist has been working. And so it's important that we're wise to these things. In 2 John chapter 1, uh, it says this, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And so lastly, and we'll be done, discern the ministry of the Antichrist. Don't check out, discern the time, discern the behavior, and discern the difference. And, 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 and it's very clear here in verses 20 through 23. John says this, he says, But, I love that but there, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But, and by the way, the words in italics, those are the words that the King James gang added. But as he that, he that acknowledge, acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So discern the difference. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. The difference is discerned by the unction from the Holy One. That but is so important there. It draws a contrast between our identity and the identity of the Antichrist. When we get saved, the Spirit of God takes residence in us. And when Judas left Jesus in John 13, 27, Satan entered him. That unction is an anointing. It's used in the Old Testament to describe the smearing on of oil uh, that would be anointed on a, a priest's head at his inaugural ceremony, and it was sweet-smelling. And it, this is a uniquely Jewish uh, passage because it, was a, it has a double application in the coming tribulation. Just as everyone who denies Christ will take the mark of the beast on their forehead, the angel of the Lord, um, I'm sorry, not the angel of the Lord, there's going to be an angel that comes and puts uh, the 144,000, he anoints them on their forehead. And the Bible teaches that. The first mention of the word holy one is found in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 22 in reference to the, the answer of Hezekiah's prayer of faith when he was surrounded by the mighty Assyrian army of Sennacherib. The Bible says in 2 Kings 19, This is the word of the Lord that he has spoken concerning him. The virgin, uh, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed and against whom hast thou extolled? Or exalted, I'm sorry, thy voice, and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel. You see, the first mention of the Holy One of Israel that we see here in the text, uh, the Holy One of Israel, is mentioned in, in the, in the uh, case of Sennacherib surrounding the nation of Israel. And Hezekiah lays out that prayer, and Isaiah ends up writing about that and, and speaking about how God brought great deliverance to the nation of Israel. They were unified from the watchman on the wall to King Hezekiah, Satan came against them. Jesus himself went out and destroyed that army. The word holy, the, the word study of the phrase holy one will, will reveal 48 mentions of that title for Jesus Christ. Each one reveals various attributes of Christ's relationship with Israel. And the first mention of holy one in the New Testament is found in Mark uh, chapter 1 and verse 24. Jesus is in the synagogue preaching with power and authority. They're like, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, this guy stands up and says, leave us alone, leave me alone, you know, and, and he's demon-possessed, and Jesus casts out the demon, and they're all like, man, who is this guy? Who gives him this authority and this power? In Acts 13, 14, Peter informed those gathered on Solomon's porch that they had chosen a murderer in Barabbas over the Holy One, the Holy One being the Lord Jesus Christ. In this, same, uh, in, the, in this verse that we have here in 1 John 2, 20, the last mention in the Bible of Holy One is found in your Bible there in verse 20. I have not I written unto you because you have not the truth, because you know it is, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, verse 20. But, be, but, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, 
and ye know all things. And so this is the first time or the last time that you'll see that in the Bible. No doubt there's a prophetic correlation to those saints mentioned in Ezekiel 9.4 who are sealed on their forehead and spared the judgment that falls in the coming tribulation. The 144,000 mentioned in Revelation 7, 1 through 4, they each have a seal of God on their head. There's 12,000 from each tribe for the nation of Israel. And they are especially used of God in the coming tribulation at the rise of the Antichrist. So we are not those people. I want to be clear about that. We are not sealed in our foreheads. Where are we sealed? Right, our hearts. Our souls are sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30 says, because... You know what? Of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. The day that you trust Christ as your Savior, he literally comes in your heart. And the Bible tells us in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Our anointing is, is the Spirit of God in us. We've got the Word of God. We've got the local church. And so that is the anointing that we have. Now, the text goes on to say that you need no man to teach you. Uh, right now, we do need that. In the coming tribulation, they're going to have to depend upon that anointing, that Holy Ghost, and those 144,000. Once the church is removed, the tribu tribulation saints will be taught directly through this anointing that's spoken of of the Holy Ghost that's given in that Old Testament context. So the words of God are given to those who know the truth. In uh, verse 21, he says, I Have not I written unto you because you know? Or, or he goes, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that there is no lie of the truth. So John is not writing because they don't know the truth, but because they do know the truth. And he doesn't want anyone to lie about the truth. This is how Peter said it in 2 Peter 1.12. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So there are many today who would, who would make a lie of the truth. This is why we must hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. The deity of Christ is routinely attacked in modern translations that incorporate the critical text in those translations. Satan has been attacking the word of God from the opening pages of scripture, and he's going to continue to attack it until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the last thing I need you to see, is we've got to discern liars from lovers. Here in the text in verse 20, 23, he says, uh, who is a liar? That's verse 22. Who is, a, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. But he goes on to say, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he acknowledgeth, acknowledgeth the Son also hath the Father also. So one thing is clear. If you deny Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, what does that make you? Antichrist. It's that simple. If you deny that Jesus Christ is Messiah, you are Antichrist. In the first century, there were those denying Jesus materially existed. These were Antichrist. In our dispensation, there have been many Antichrists, from Nero, uh, who made a huge statue of himself and demanded worship, uh, you know, to the office holders of the papacy, uh, claiming that they are the vicars of God, uh, to those, you know, pedophiles like Muhammad, uh, who claimed that Jesus was just a prophet and denied the, the authenticity of the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Holy One, the Ancient of Days. And, and uh, it doesn't matter if it's Pope Francis himself. Uh, they are controlled by a spirit of Antichrist because they're in league with him. And so if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you are a liar and the spirit of Antichrist has influenced you. You can't hold hands with, with a Muslim. Now, I'm not saying we love Muslims. We want them to come to Christ. I have lots of friends that have been Muslims, and they come to Christ. We love all people because God loves people. But the reality is, is that teaching is wrong. And if we really love people, we're going to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you deny that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Bible says, not, not me, the Bible says you're a liar because the Antichrist has influenced you, even if it's religious, even if it's Jewish. Right? Because even some of those Jews, when they deny Jesus, Jesus is the one that says, hey, you're of your father, the devil. So let me leave you with this, 1 Corinthians 8. Because for us, we're living in the Pauline epistles for the most part, and this is a good verse to kind of wrap it up on. Now, it's touching things offered unto idols. That's another attribute of, of uh, Antichrist activity, idolatry. We, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. Just knowing things isn't enough. Just knowing all the right verses isn't enough. Knowledge puffs up, but charity, right? That's love in action. It edifies. It builds up. If any man think that he knoweth anything, 
He knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Remember I started off with those Pharisees? They thought they knew everything, but they didn't know Jesus. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If you, lo- if you love God, you'll keep his word. And the word that God has for everyone, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, is to get saved. Trust me as Lord and Savior. And if you've hung on through all this, this is a lot of meat for people that know their Bibles. Man, I tell you what, uh, we got to make sure that we don't get puffed up with knowledge. These are things we ought to know. Right? If, you're, if you're a Christian and you know your Bible, these, are, these references are, should be reviewed for many of us. But if they're not, we need to, maybe we need to bone up. Maybe we need to go a little deeper in our Bible study and realize what time it is and realize that what's coming, we gotta get, this is not a cunningly devised fable. It's no joke. We've got to get the word where it needs to go on time. So discern the ministry of Antichrist. It was important to John. It should be important to us. Don't check out. Discern the time. Discern the behavior. Discern the difference. You know what? We should be marked with love. We should be marked with charity. We should be marked with love for one another, not running from God, but running to God. And how you do that today is running to God's people. And we got a sister here that's hurting. We need to be, you don't have to literally run and jump on Cammy. but you need to be praying for Cammy. You need to be praying for Joe. And I know you guys are. You got Gawain Arney struggling with cancer. Man, you prayed for Randy. You prayed for, for Bob and Sharon. We prayed for so many people. That's what we do. We come together and we help each other. That's love. That's charity. You're not going to find that in the world. There's always going to be some other motive, some other thing. So in conclusion, are you prepared for eternity? There's a, there's a love for this world. The Bible is very clear. If you get caught up in it, you're not going to be prepared for eternity. You're going to be loving the wrong things. You're not even going to be prepared for what's coming. You're not even going to know what hits you. And if you're listening to me and you haven't taken the Bible seriously, I would encourage you to don't believe everything I'm saying. Don't believe anything I'm saying. Check it out for yourself. That's how I got saved. I started digging into some of these claims about the last days, about the Antichrist, about the end of the world. I'm like, that, that is just crazy. And the more I dug into it, you know where it led me? To the Ancient of Days. Those cognitations started working in my heart. Next thing I know, I'm on my knees. and I'm saying, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you're alive. I believe you're coming back. And I'm not on your team. I want to be yours. And I just knelt down the best way I knew how. And I I don't even remember exactly what I said, but I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And he did it. And since that time, my soul's been sealed. And he can teach us all things whatsoever he said to us from this book. And that's why I'm standing here today. Because you know what? It's my job to warn you. Just like John. Next time we get together, we'll be talking about not just being prepared for Antichrist, but being prepared for his coming. There's two parts of this message. We need to be ready when Jesus returns. Not, not caught off guard. Oh, that, I didn't see that coming. We need to be ready. And beloved, getting in the words where it starts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together. I pray, God, that we would take your word seriously. Lord, I know there's a lot of information here uh, that I've gone over. There's notes. There's, it's up online. People can go back and check the cross-references, go back over the message and listen again. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would just help us understand that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He loves us. He is the light of the world. He is the only way. Uh, he is not exclusive. He wants everybody to be in his kingdom, but he's also not going to pander to all of our whims and our wants, not even this religious folk that want it our way. Lord, may we submit to the, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in salvation, though that is the most important decision, but every day of our life. Let us follow him in faithfulness. Let, help us to be sober-minded and vigilant, knowing what time it is. Not, help us not to get caught up in things that have no eternal value. Lord, help us to understand where the, the victory lies, and that is in Christ, in his word, and the gospel. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand with me briefly for a word of prayer continue an attitude of prayer. I, I'm going to be brief today for the time's sake, but if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I just want to put this across the table right now. Uh, it's been a long message, I know, but if you're here and you're like, Brian, I want to get saved. I need to, I need to know I'm forgiven, and I don't. I don't know that I'm right with God. I want to be. I can help you with that. I, I have folks that can help you, just show you in the Bible what you need to do to, to put your faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. Is there anyone at all that would say, Brian, that is me? I need to be saved. Just raise your hand where you are right now. Brian, that's me. I want to be saved. Man, are you saved? Hallelujah. Man, then we need to be about the business that God has for us because there's coming a day that's already upon us, and there's lots of Antichrist. Are you prepared for that? 
Are you reading daily? Are you studying your Bible? Are you sharing the gospel? Are we praying? Are we having a relationship with Christ that lights up the world in which we live? If not, why not? Because that's our job, beloved, to be lights in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your saints. I once again want to pray for Joe Schaefer. I want to pray, God, for, for his uh, process. I pray right now his lungs already inflated and he's breathing again. And Lord, I, I thank you for the work that you do there. I pray for your saints, Lord. Uh, breathe life into us this morning. Quicken us with understanding of the times in which we live, understanding what's just around the corner. Help us to be uh, faithful with your business of getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. Lord, help us to be serious about the mission trips we're taking, serious about the disciples we're making, serious about the HBI students that we're training, serious about the churches we're planning. Lord, help us not to let off the throttle before you come. Help us to be ready for your return. Lord, because we know that uh, for every action, the devil wants to give us an opposite and equal reaction. But Lord, we understand that you've overcome all that. And so we want to be in your hands right now. We thank you. We praise you for your goodness, for your victory, for your grace, for your word. Thank you for the knowledge you've given us of what's going to happen. Lord, help us to be good stewards of that so that we can function properly in the world in which we live. Lord, help us not to be puffed up, but to be humble and sincere, sober, full of charity, love, and good works. We just thank you and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming to you from HBF today, just wanted to encourage you to be part of the ninth annual Life Issues Recovery Walk. This is going to be a great time, and we need everybody's participation. Think about it, nine years of helping those that have been addicted to drugs and alcohol in Cass County. Uh, you need to be a part of this. I'm excited about what God is doing in this ministry. I hope you are too. There's a lot of neat things going on uh, for this recovery walk. So what is the walk about? First of all, it's a 4.4-mile walk from the Cass County Justice Center to Heartland Baptist Fellowship at 283rd Street here in Harrisonville. If you're not familiar with it, uh, you can get online, go to hbfcast.org or to lifeissuesonline.org. You can find out more about that. We'd really love you to be a part of this event. It's a great time. It's really important that we all uh, buy in to the reality that we're part of the solution to addiction. We're all touched by it in different ways. Did you know that a thousand people hey, in Missouri die each year related to uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction? That's a lot of souls. And you know that spiritually it takes a toll as well. There's a thousand arrests in Cass County uh, each year related to drug and alcohol addiction. 13% of the youth in the metro area have tried illicit drugs. And you know the devil wants to get them connected and directed into a life of addiction so he can have control of them and put them